This is the Sydney Review of Books podcast. I'm the SRB editor, Katrina Menzies-Pike. Welcome to our podcast about Australian books and writers. In 2019, novelist Laura Elizabeth Woollett was shortlisted for one of the most prestigious and lucrative literary prizes in Australia. Her book, Beautiful Revolutionary, was up for the Prime Minister's Literary Award for Fiction. The winner of this prize receives more than kudos. They get a cheque for $80,000. Now, in recent years, there's been a trend of writers publicly giving away prize money to charity or sharing it with other shortlisted writers. That's fine. But when Laura was shortlisted for the PM's award, she was working in a call centre. The prize money would have utterly changed her life and bought her literally years of time to write. Like, no one really talks about the elephant in the room, which is what the money would mean to them individually. And you're not, you're not supposed to say, I would really like this money. This would be very helpful for me. The relationship between writing and work, the different ways that writers view their writing as work, and, of course how the bills get paid. These are long-standing interests of ours at the SRB. One of the ways that we've been pushing back against romanticised ideas about starving artists is through our Writers at Work series. These essays about writers and work have been one of the most popular features on the website. So when Laura contacted me to ask whether the SRB might be interested in an essay reflecting on prize money, wage labour and the writing life, of course I said yes. We published her essay, titled Award Rate, in August 2020. For the podcast, we've invited former SRB Deputy Editor Andrew Brooks to speak with Laura. Andrew was instrumental in setting up writers at work, and it was a pleasure for us to hear him in conversation about this essay. My name is Laura Elizabeth Wood. I'm the author of a short story collection, The Love of a Bad Man, and two novels, Beautiful Revolutionary and The Newcomer, which is coming out next year. I am currently based in Melbourne on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I'm Andrew Brooks. I'm currently on the unceded lands of the Wongal people. I'm an artist and writer and editor. I was formerly the deputy editor of the Senior Review of Books. And in my time there, I helped to produce the Writers at Work series. The Writers at Work series is a series of feature essays interested in this question of how writers get made and how writing gets made. So really broadly speaking, what is the labour of writing and what are the conditions that produce writing? You know, it kind of came about through a conversation that Katrina Menzies-Pike, um, who's the wonderful editor at the SRB, and myself were having, trying to think and push back against these sort of romanticised ideas of the writer as, as this kind of starving artist or the writer as this kind of romantic figure. Award Rate is really about my experiences being shortlisted for one of the richest literary awards in Australia, the Prime Minister's Literary Award, which is an $80,000 award. And the next day after not winning, going back to my day job at the call centre and working an 11-hour shift, it's really about the duality of being a writer and having these occasional you know, moments of glory and excess coming your way and then going back to the real life which is often just a grind and fitting writing where you can. I love this essay and I love the way the title kind of plays on this 
twin valence of, of award rates, the PM's award and, of course, award rate in the minimum wage sense. Um, I also really love the way that this piece describes the labour of writing alongside doing casualised and precarious jobs. And I wondered if you could speak a little bit about the relationship between doing waged and unwaged work. Yeah, I always think of waged work. It's just really about the necessities, like paying the rent, affording groceries and stuff like that. Whereas creative labour, often, especially writing long form fiction, so novels, there's not really any guarantee of publication or guarantee that it will find an audience. So you really do have to do it as a labour of love a lot of the time. And you do really invest so much into yourself in sustaining this world in your head and working on the same thing for a couple of years at a time. What compels you to write, even though it's something that must be squeezed into lunch breaks or after hours? I justify it because, well, number one, it's the thing I'm good at. And I think there is joy in being able to practice something that you're good at and devote time to it and see yourself getting better at it. And I think that that's the thing that really sustains writing is that ability to kind of move between worlds. The fact that I could just drop my work, go on my lunch break and resume this world that my book was set in. Oh, I love that so much. I think for me as well, the power of writing is in its capacity to build worlds and build futures. And what you're saying there just reminds me of this really wonderful phrase from the fantastic poet. Kate Gabriel, who's talking about poetry, maybe we can expand it to literature, is, is this form that allows us to talk about and against the miserable present and, and to kind of leap into this kind of form of utopian thought that is building worlds? Well, I think the arts are kind of about this sort of ambiguous space and questioning human experience and looking really at the texture of life. I just really enjoy the ability to kind of slip out of my own life and go somewhere else. And as a reader as well, I think that's what attracts people to literature too. You talk in this essay about working precarious jobs as you write and you talk about being a mystery shopper. I wondered if you could explain um, to people who may not know what mystery shopping is. It's very, very niche. It involves a lot of calls to councils and um, utility companies and things like that. Basically, I ask stupid questions all day long. You know, how do I register my dog? How do I set up a payment arrangement? Stuff like that. I, I just spend all day asking these questions and then on writing descriptions about my interactions with the customer service agents. Have you found that there's any part of that work that influences your process as a, as a writer or that works its way into, into your writing? The weirdness of it keeps it interesting. Sometimes talking to different people every day can be good because writing is solitary. Being able to spend all day hearing human voices and interacting with people can be a good thing. I definitely have improved in my dialogue writing since I've had this job. When I first started out, I was terrified of writing dialogue and I thought I was really bad at it. And then I got more and more comfortable over the years. You know, it's one of my places where I'm most comfortable now. 
In the essay, there was this passage that really struck me and you write, within the next two months, the Department of Communications and the Arts will be slashed, merged into a conglomerate covering transport, infrastructure and regional development. Within the next three months, the PM will piss off to Hawaii while the country burns. Within the next year, the coalition will rule to double the cost of arts degrees, rendering them prohibitively expensive. I'm one of the lucky ones. Seven years after graduation, I'm a guest at Parliament House. I still don't know if I'll ever pay off my hex debt. That was a very surreal experience, actually going to the Parliament House and being in the same theatre where Scott Morrison was speaking and just he was like in and out of the room and then he eventually just left and um, the arts minister took over announcing who the prize winners were. There was kind of this atmosphere of um, jovial antagonism, like, you know, you don't like me. I don't like you, but I'm here and you're here. So it was a strange position to be in. I I suppose I'm kind of sceptical of literary prizes and the way that literary prizes are a stand-in for a more substantive support for creative work and for an art sector, the way they become this sort of like pictures of exceptionalism that can be pointed to as arts funding is continuously eroded and as politicians continue to play this culture war that like really devalues and degrades the work of creatives and of artists. And that's not to say, of course, that I think like people should be, you know, refusing literary prizes. I think it's just wonderful if that opportunity comes it's, you know, this conflict of, yeah, I deserve this money, I've worked for it, but why do I have to thank these particular people for it? So it was quite an uncomfortable position to be in. But, like, no one really talks about the elephant in the room, which is what the money would mean to them individually. And you're, you're not supposed to say, I would really like this money, this would be very helpful for me. Like, that's just not what is said in those situations. But it's there. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but I've had a lot more success with funding and um, residency applications and stuff like that because I have this honourable thing associated with my name now. But at the same time, I've been shortlisted for this one big prize, but there are also a lot of prizes that I was not shortlisted for. And, you know, it's the same piece of work. You can't really know why things are chosen. And um, I don't think it necessarily says anything about its inherent value. I don't really know what was going on behind the scenes that made my book capture the attention of this particular judging panel. I think that's so true, you know, like they do become these things that make other opportunities happen. And so I think also when we think about prizes and we think about this landscape of prizes, it's so important that we're also thinking about who's doing the judging and what's the kind of composition of judging panels and and how do we ensure that panels are put together that are supporting a kind of diverse literary culture. So, Laura, I was really struck by this passage in the essay that involves this this exchange between you and your husband where you ask, what if I get so comfortable I stop trying? My husband shakes his head and says that's what they want us to think, that our labour has more value when it's uncompensated. 
You seem to be battling here with this romantic idea of the struggling artist, this internalised idea that to struggle is a mark of authenticity. I was wondering if you could speak about your experience of negotiating this tension between comfort and discomfort. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me it comes from this idea that art should come from a place of urgency and if something is worth saying, then it will eventually come out, even if circumstances are difficult because you really have to say it. And I think this idea that some sacrifices are worth it, you know, you might have to sacrifice sleep or you might have to sacrifice having a social life for a while, but if it's urgent and it needs to be said, then it's worth that sacrifice. And I guess, you know, fitting into that, there's this fear that if I'm at leisure, if I have comfort, if I have endless space to to write and work in, then there will just be silence and, you know, what I have to say maybe doesn't matter as much. In that exchange, your your husband and his sort of encouraging you to push against that idea. I'm wondering whether you hold on to this idea of creative labour requiring that urgency or whether you're sort of moving through that towards this place of thinking, well, perhaps some space and perhaps the ability to earn a wage and have um, a degree of material comfort is actually necessary for writing. I'm still struggling and getting my head around it really but I think I am kind of looking at how to make it sustainable a lot more than I used to when I first started out it was kind of just like I'll just do what I want for 10 years and see what happens but getting older makes that a bit more difficult and you do begin to crave a bit more comfort and a bit more stability and even on this essay you know which was a commission I might not have necessarily written it if I couldn't find a home for it. Yeah, there are things that we write because we want to write them, but having paid opportunities is so important to have a culture where we get rewarded for the labour that we put into writing. And I think it does open up possibilities for writing things that we might not otherwise conceptualise writing. Yeah, and working on this essay, I wouldn't have necessarily had the confidence to actually go ahead and write it if I didn't have an editor coming in and being like, yeah, this is important, we're really interested in this. This year in particular has been a strange year for me because I actually have had more security than ever before in my life, but also there's a pandemic going on, so there's... It's not really the ideal circumstances for being creative. Yeah, but earlier this year I secured funding to work on my next project. I've also been a writer in residence at the Boyd Garrett in the city of Melbourne for the past year. Yeah, it was for the first time ever really I've just had my own space to work in, which has been great. And these are things which previously I didn't have. And has my you know output improved or increased? Um, no, but that's not to say that these things aren't worthwhile because I, I do feel like I have space to think about things in a way I didn't before. You know, it, it strikes me that one of the things that we want to push back on is this idea that we should be producing more or faster and that like, you know, having more comfort should mean that we merely produce more. Having this time and space, I wonder if it allows a different type of engagement, a different type of thinking, perhaps like slowing the labour of writing down a little bit is positive. 
I've kind of like, I had the experience a couple of years ago when I finished my novel, Beautiful Revolutionary, where I didn't write for about a year and a half. That felt really bad to me and I felt I couldn't call myself a writer anymore. But this time around, like I, I finished my last novel almost a year ago and I um, haven't really started my next one seriously yet. But I kind of gave myself that time even before the pandemic started. I'm just like, this can be a year for consumption and um, you know thinking rather than putting things out there. And I think that is how it is sometimes. It's very cyclical. It's not just sit down and work every day. I love the way you put that there, that this idea of, well, actually consumption is is really important to be able to produce things. You know, we have to be reading and thinking and allowing ourselves that time and space to digest things before we turn them into writing. This idea of, of allowing more time to sit with ideas, allowing more time to think through ideas, I think is a really positive one. So I'm trying to be more comfortable with the idea of having less to show or the work of creative labor. Um, but I am interested in in ultimately trying to produce things, right? Because I think that's where you move from this kind of sometimes isolated solo work of laboring on something to generating something that has the capacity to bring people together. Writing, ideally, it should be sustained by something other than financial reward or the possibility of financial reward as well. It should be because you really love the work and do want it to find an audience and do want to share it. Laura Elizabeth Willett is a writer who lives in Melbourne. She's the author of The Love of a Bad Man and Beautiful Revolutionary, both published by Scribe. She wrote about work, prizes, prestige and money in a terrific essay for the Sydney Review of Books. Look out for her new novel, The Newcomer, in 2021. You'll find her website at lauraelizabethwillett.com and she's on Instagram at lauraelizabethwillett. Laura was speaking with Andrew Brooks, who's a writer, artist and teacher who lives on unceded Wangal land. He's a lecturer in media at the University of New South Wales, one half of the critical art collective Snack Syndicate, part of the Rosa Press Collective, and he's the former deputy editor of the Sydney Review of Books. You can read Laura's essay on our website, along with all the other essays we've commissioned for our ongoing Writers at Work series. You'll find the links on our podcast page, sydneyreviewofbooks.com forward slash podcast, and we've got more episodes about Australian books and writers featuring the brilliant Pat Grant, Eileen Chong and Rawa Arja. I'm the SRB editor, Katrina Menzies-Pike. Our producer is Alison Chan, ably assisted by Alice Desmond. Elena Godwin did the sound design and mixing. The SRB is produced at the Writing and Society Research Centre at Western Sydney University. This podcast was made possible by funding from the Create New South Wales Digitise Initiative. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we work, the Baramatical people of the Darug Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded and the struggles for justice are ongoing. We acknowledge all the traditional custodians of the lands this digital platform reaches.